It's Monday, December 17th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we'll be looking specifically at Acts chapter 6, verse 8, through Acts chapter 7, verse 16. Today, we are looking at the fact that Jesus is now the temple. In the Old Testament, uh, Moses was was called to to erect a a mobile temple, a tabernacle that represented the presence of God. And then David uh, wanted to build a permanent tabernacle. And, And of course, the Lord told him that he was not going to be the one to build the tabernacle, but that it would be his son Solomon who built a permanent temple for the the presence of God. And, And today we're going to see that Stephen, the first Christian martyr, lost his life because he was preaching that Jesus was the temple. As a matter of fact, this is the reason that, that, that at first the Jews and, and, and all of those were so angry with, with Jesus is because he was saying that he was the, the, the tabernacle, that, that he was the one that, that was the true temple. And so let's read uh, together in Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through Acts chapter 7, verse 17. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedman, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those of Sicilia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men to say, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and they seized him, and they brought him before the council. And then they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. For we've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will restore, uh, destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of the glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before we lived in Haran, and and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in the land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years but i will judge the nation that they serve said god and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place oh and he gave him the covenant of circumcision and so abraham became the father of isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day and isaac became the father of jacob and jacob of the 12 patriarchs And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all of his household. Now there came a famine through all Egypt, and Canaan in great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph himself made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, seventy-five 
five persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and his fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had brought, bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamer in Shechem. You see, beloved, Stephen died over echoing the words that Jesus had spoke, that he, Jesus, would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Right? This is what he's accused of in, in verse 14 of chapter 6. They've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. So Stephen was the first martyr, and, and, and he was, was martyred on these words. So why does this matter to us today as believers into the world? Does, does, does the truth that Jesus said and that Stephen testified that he would tear down and destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, does this have any bearing upon us well, I believe it does for two reasons. First, Stephen was the first martyr, and he based his life on that truth, that Jesus was the temple. Stephen spoke with wisdom, verse 10, and they could not withstand it. He was not a fool that chose to die on a baseless message, but a wise man who died for the sake of truth. But number two, the Jewish leaders killed on the basis of the truth that Stephen was speaking. If his words were gibberish, then he was of no threat. But if his words were true and spoken with wisdom and authority, then the Jewish leaders had so much to fear. Jesus had said that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. John chapter 2 verses 18 through 22 tells us this. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and, and then you will rise it in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Oh, and then John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says, no one takes it from me, my life, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, his life, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So Jesus was saying that he would lay down the temple of his body and it would be raised in three days. But what did Jesus mean? Was this simply about death and resurrection? If so, why did this make the Jewish leader so angry, right? This statement was complex and revolutionary and it became the basis of Jesus' death and Stephen's martyrdom. Jesus was literally saying that when he died, that the temple would die with him. When he is destroyed physically, the temple is destroyed. Maybe the walls won't fall down, but its significance is destroyed. The whole sacrificial system of the temple is destroyed with the death of Jesus. All of the sacrifices and atonement at the physical temple die when Jesus dies. The curtain, it tore in two as Jesus died as a symbol that the temple was destroyed. No longer was there separation between God and man that must be bridged by an imperfect priest, but now we have access to God through the once and for all atonement of God's perfect Son. So there's three ways that this passage points to, to that Jesus has become the temple. First, Jesus becomes the one and only high priest. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 7, verses 23 to 26, that this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. The temple priesthood is now destroyed, and now Jesus is the only high priest. This is why 
Acts chapter 6 verse 7 is so consequential. It says this, and it says, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great number of the what priest became obedient to faith. Many priests became obedient to faith because they realized they were out of a job, because the real priest had come. And so the second uh, way that the at the resurrection Jesus becomes the temple is number two, Jesus offered himself once and for all to make atonement for us and to redeem us once and for all. The writer of Hebrews continues in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, and then verses 25 through 28 when he says, He, Jesus, entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages. Oh, then we see in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12, 10 through 12, it says, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every high priest stands at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Beloved, Jesus is our redemption. We celebrate that Christ has come at Christmas, not because go, uh, God had become incarnate, but because God had come to rescue us, to save us, and to redeem us. We don't celebrate Christ as Christmas, not just because God had become incarnate, but because he'd come to rescue us, save us, and redeem us. Oh, but the third way, at the resurrection, Jesus becomes the temple. Is it third? Jesus embodies the glory of God. No longer was it necessary for the priest to enter into the Holy of Holies to meet with God and for the glory of God to be made visible to the people. Now the glory of God was solely in Christ, and he is where the world looks to see the glory of God. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, who through him, Jesus, are believers in God and raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. James says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And then the writer of Hebrews says again in chapter 1, verse 3, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Beloved, Jesus is the temple. And when he told the Jewish leaders that he was coming to eliminate the need for their tradition and to save their souls once and for all, they held on to their tradition and they held on to their sin and they murdered the king of glory. So how today do we hold on to our tradition and to our sin and fail to see the glory of God? Today, we hold on to our traditions. We hold on to our sin and we fail to see the glory of God when Jesus is standing and saying, I have come to abolish all traditions. I have come to cover up with my righteousness all sin if you will look to me and repent. And so we see that Stephen was preaching to a heavy-handed hard-hearted people, cold-blooded people who did not want to sacrifice their tradition and who did not want to admit their sin. And this leads us again to Acts chapter 6 and the question, was Stephen speaking of the same thing that Jesus had said? 
right? If Jesus had already died and been resurrected when Stephen is giving the speech, was Stephen speaking of the same thing? Well, look again at verse 14 of Acts chapter 6. It says this, For we have heard him, Stephen, say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. They definitely, Stephen and Jesus meant the same thing, but Stephen had to deal with was that the dismantling of the old temple system did not happen overnight. It was happening gradually. Jesus took away the basis of the old system, so now he will go on, he, Stephen, will go on to dismantle its practices until it is no more. Just like with our lives, sanctification is a long and messy process at times, but it's a process that is continually leading us to look and to be more like Christ. So while Jesus had destroyed the temple effectively, the signs of the old life were still littering the lives of the Jews. Stephen was a man that longed for the salvation of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But he knew it was a process to effectively destroy the grasp that the physical temple had on the people. Oh, beloved, Jesus is coming to the world to forgive sins once and for all and to be our go-between forever and ever and to reveal the glory of God. And this is what Stephen died for. Yet before Stephen dies, the high priest give him one last chance to defend himself and to renounce his claims against the customs that they were presenting in the law. So Stephen, in chapter 7, masterfully speaks to the high priest to prove that while he is being charged of speaking against Moses and the law and the prophets and the patriarchs, that his defense actually proves the opposite. The patriarchs, the law, the prophets, and Abraham all pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. Stephen's message that we see here and, and will finish in weeks to come should encourage us by patience and long-suffering of God. He's not eager to punish, but eager to forgive and to see repentance. Acts chapter 7, verse 7. But I, God, will judge the nations that they serve, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. Acts chapter 7, verse 9. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. God would judge his people and bring them back many years later, even when they acted foolishly and doubted the goodness of God or sinfully acted against God's purposes. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Oh, Stephen's message should also get our attention through a word of warning. While God is patient, there is an end to his patience. Consistently throughout the history of Egypt, God would have to act in order to preserve the glory due his name. Oh, Acts chapter 7, verse 42 says this, But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, Did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years of the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Raphan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Oh, it's a scary thing for a holy God to give us over to the worship of ourselves and to turn away from us. So today, let us preach the gospel while it is still called today. Beloved, our God is being patient, but there is a warning that God's patience will end. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? We must preach Christ and his gospel, knowing that he is the temple and the only way that one can find true rest and peace in God. 
And so the temple in Jerusalem is effectively destroyed. And we have a new temple, a new priest, a new sacrifice, and a new access to glory and fellowship with God. John the Revelator says in Revelation 21, 22 through 23, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Well, this week, we are praying for the country of Taiwan. We are praying for our partners in Taiwan, Cathwell, that the Lord would sustain the work they are doing in Taiwan with birth mothers and vulnerable children. Praying that the Lord would draw unbelieving workers at Cathwell to himself, uh, especially many of the partners that we work with uh, daily, one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Praying for the growth and the partnership between Lifeline and Cathwell. We're praying for the gospel to go forth in Taiwan and praying for the grip of Buddhism and ancestor worship to loosen and the God of the gospel to triumph. We're praying for growth and awareness of the special program that we have to advocate for children, specifically Morgan and an eight-year-old female. And we're praying for children who've been waiting for a long time, children with severe special needs, older children, sibling groups. We're praying that God would call and equip families to care specifically for these hard-to-place children. And we're praying that God would protect raiding children while they wait. We're praying for new doors to open and more families to bring children home from Taiwan. And we're praising the Lord for the hearts and the workers at Cathwell as they truly desire what is best for the children in their care. And we're praising the Lord for possible opportunities to more deeply invest in Taiwan. And we're praising God for the three families who are currently answering the call to adopt from Taiwan. Oh, let's pray for the country of Taiwan. God, we thank you for this little island nation of Taiwan. We know there is so much stress even between this tiny little island nation and mainland China. We pray that you would dissipate this stress, that these nations would come together in unity. We ask that you would uh, oversee the hearts and the minds of those in Taiwan and for believers in Taiwan, that you'd strengthen them, that you would embolden them, and that you would give them the words to preach your gospel, your glory, your name, and your grandeur. Lord, we pray that you would be with our continuing partnership with Cathwell, that you would strengthen that partnership, that you help us to preach the gospel to those at Cathwell that are unbelieving. And Lord, we pray that gospel reckoning would come. And Lord, we ask that you would be with these children that are waiting for forever families from Taiwan and that you would give us special grace to be able to advocate for them and to find families for them that would give them forever families. And Lord, we know that you love this little tiny island nation of Taiwan and we pray that your hand would be firmly upon it and that you would turn many to repentance and to your son, Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask in your holy and awesome name, amen. We'll make sure not to miss our other podcast today, which is day 17 of Advent of the Defender podcast. You can visit lifelinechild.org backslash Advent for more information on our Advent uh, guide, as well as to get download cards so you can follow along with our 17th day of Advent. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information and to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast Advent Edition.